gentlemen get ready are you are you sitting down have you eaten anything in the last 20 minutes be prepared for we're gonna make it a monthly podcast about art artistry and the creative drives that keep people creating things even against their better judgment kind of like us and this show hey i just want to uh take a minute and thank everybody for the great response to our first episode we've been getting a lot of positive feedback and we really appreciate it if you guys like the show let us know we want to hear about it yeah you can now uh, you can follow us at make it pod on twitter you can like us on facebook or you can visit our wordpress site at make you can also send us an email at make it podcast at gmail.com or you can go <laughs> or you can goog the plus <laughs> Make it podcast at gmail.com or you could go on. <laughs> Why do we even need to try so hard? It's just Google Plus. We don't really need to sell it very much. Google. Google. Google the Google. You can Google the Google. Plus. <laughs> is that, that going to do? Nobody uses Google Plus. It doesn't even matter. It, it came with the Gmail account. So, Moss, what do we have in store for our listeners today? Well, Taylor, I was hoping you would probably know that by now, on account of we're recording this. It's a thing you say. It gets us gets going. Like, hey, this is this is an intro. And this is a gag bit. Um, all right, yeah. This is only the second episode of our show, but we are already completely falling off the wagon. We are straying right outside of anything that you would expect to be within our subject range. It's true. When I say the word art to you, what comes to mind? Paintings. Painting of a cat on a boat. A boat. No, not a boat. A painted boat. A painting of a cat in a castle. A book about a cat? A sculpture of a cat. That book, Cat Wings. It's a really good book. A photograph of that book with a cat reading it. Yeah, it's got to be black and white, yeah, um, lens flare, half, half darkness, 50% gray. I don't know, I'm just using terms. Okay. I feel like I understand art anyway. Let's I feel see. like we've got a pretty good idea of what art is. I mean, we make this podcast about art. So at any point there, at any point, were you like thinking about a sandwich? Yes. Really? Well, only because that tends to be where, where my mind goes when I don't have anything else actively occupying it. I, I didn't think of a sandwich because of art. Well, on this episode of We're Gonna Make It, we look at the artistry of cooking. <laughs> Cooking. Yes. Do you smell that, Taylor? Yeah, I smell something, Moss. That is the smell of art. I think that is <laughs> I think that is the smell of fart, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and I really, really wish we were in different rooms. Since we started planning this podcast, 
I've been really excited for this episode. I really love the idea of food as sort of a visual and a tasteful showpiece, and of chefs as the artists that make them. I think chefs can totally be artists. They do all kinds of cool stuff. You go into restaurants, and it's all about creative uses of ingredients and getting people excited about what they're looking at. I mean, it's it's exciting. Yeah, there's something to it. I mean, it it could be the smell of the food wafting out of the kitchen. It could be even the writing, the prose that's used in the menu to try and draw people in. It could be the the picture of a bowl of rice in the window of a Chinese restaurant. These are all kind of artistic tricks that are being used to try and sell people on a product. It is art,、uh, just as much as advertising or marketing is. For this episode, what we did is we went out and we found a professional chef from the Okanagan, which is where we live, and he cooks in some of the most celebrated restaurants in the valley. We also went and found a, a rookie student who just started chef school, and who also happens to be my cousin, Colton. Hi, Colton. Between the both of them, we learned a lot about their motivations, the challenges they face, and the reasons why they love cooking so much. And rest assured that after the interviews, Taylor and I are both going to completely embarrass ourselves by cooking for both of our professional chefs in our most heated contest to date. Yeah, this is our second episode. It's gonna be a hot contest. You have to admit it. Is that like a like a hot oven pun? Because that's not great. Good God, what was that? That, my dear, is creative freedom. I downloaded some software to use my computer keyboard as a MIDI synthesizer, so now we're not dependent on the good graces and pitiful charity of kind artists like our previous guest Olav, who did let us use his music. Now we hold all the power, Taylor. You know, it's. It's just not the kind of power I ever really wanted to have. No, it's no, no, it's good. No, don't worry about it. It's great. Here, look, I can do hopeful transitions, and I can do thought-provoking background ambiance. And there are sad sounds too. Yeah, for when the interviews turn sad, because every interview has to have a sad part. That's how we get our emotional investment from the audience. So, can you do anything that sounds good or lasts for more than like half a second? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, but you just took that from like Super Mario. <laughs> Your pronunciation of Super Mario aside. Yes, I can do a great many valid and useful things with this keyboard. For example, oh, that's lovely. Or what if we have an exotic episode by the seashore? So, just to clarify, we do still have permission from Colin to use his songs, right? Yeah, but do you want to be under that guy's thumb? Do you want to be under that guy's? Um, this is about freedom, Taylor. I think it's time for the interviews. Liam McNulty is a chef in the Okanagan Valley. He's been cooking here for years and has built up a certain reputation for himself. 
He would probably say that it's a result of his Don Draper hairdo. That and my surly kitchen temper. But most others would agree that his chief credits come from his delicious handcrafted meals and his dedication to using only the best fresh and local ingredients. But we'll let him tell you more about that himself. Take it away, Liam. Uh, sure, my name is uh, Liam McNulty, and uh, I'm a chef in the Okanagan Valley in beautiful BC. What do I call you? Because I don't want to offend. If I call you a cook, is that bad? Um, you know what? For me particularly, actually, it's it's not at all. Um, I tend to use the term chef when I do things like this, actually, when I'm talking about myself in a public forum, just because I think there is a level of respect there. But in many ways, um, I do consider myself a cook because a cook tends to take on all responsibilities in a kitchen, from cooking the line to commanding a brigade to peeling potatoes. But when you want to sound important, it's chef. When when I want to sound important, uh, and, and this once again comes a lot a lot of the time from external forces, uh, I'm I'm told that I need to be called a chef. Do you have people that are telling you that you need to be more chef-like in your job? <laughs> oh oh, definitely, um, <laughs> definitely. Uh, I I think I think though that being said, that a lot of people still in in the restaurant industry too have a pretty old school regimented view of what a chef is. Uh, a chef is someone who stands in the kitchen and commands the brigade and on the off time creates these beautiful dishes. And, and I like to think that I do the same. But um, that being said, I also kind of get involved in other aspects of the kitchen. I uh, tend to shy away from some of the publicity, too, that, that many chefs sort of crave. I, I think letting the food speak for itself is, is an important thing. Owners, uh, managers tend to <laughs> tend to try and put you out there more as a chef trying to make you a, try and make you a figure trying to make you a, a celebrity almost so you're a bit of a lead by example sort of chef yeah you like to be hands-on appreciate the craft of cooking yeah I, I i think and you know what i think a lot of the um a lot of the chefs out in the okanagan are like that um a lot of us use the same local farmers and and go to the same um uh beef purveyors for example um i think every every chef of the okanagan does out at harker's organics we we all take a take a minute or two to head out in the busy summer and watch the first tomatoes come in and try a few and that to me is more important i i think um than being the chef that sits in the office and writes the menu and and then have someone else do the work. Hmm. Cool, Liam. Let's start with uh, let's start with the past. Let's start with the build up to where you are right now. Why are you a chef? Oh, um, I'm hungry. I'm hungry all the time. And the ability to create something from from beautiful ingredients and fill yourself and fill others and and make people smile and be happy. And I, I think. That that says it all right there. I think that goes for almost any chef. Food. I love to eat food. So so this was this was almost a survival thing. Definitely it's a survival thing. I mean people will just I, I think a lot of the time don't take time to prepare uh, their own food anymore. I was lucky enough to grow up in a house where both my parents cooked and cooked on a regular basis and cooked good whole foods and that just kind of translated to me and you can always eat in the kitchen, so how horrifying is it to think of the concept that, like, I, I saw a news story about a town in the United States that just didn't have grocery stores. You couldn't buy raw food. You just had to go and buy, like, fast food, basically, was, was what the entire town supported itself on. Personally, I think it's very terrifying, but I, I also do think that it's, it's somewhat realistic. I think a lot of communities, even, even if they have the option to use that grocery store or use that farmer's market or, or whatever it may be, I, I think 
it's a lot of the times it's just easier to make that fast choice and and a lot of people do it anyway so i do think it's terrifying but i also think it's becoming unfortunately a little standard of uh of the Mm. way western culture approaches food it's easy to believe eh? yeah Mm. yeah back on what you were saying before what is it that actually got you into cooking the fast pace of the kitchen uh the stress the pressure the excitement uh, is something that really drew me in. I, I started off working at a very, very busy restaurant, and it was exciting. It was scary. Um, it was challenging. Was it high school when you started? I was, yeah. I was about uh, 14 when I started my first kitchen job. I was a dishwasher. Nice. Were you good? I was awesome. I was a ridiculously organized dishwasher. I lasted about two months in the scullery and uh, and then was brought into the kitchen because I was just very organized, very fast. And like I said, that eagerness to please, that, that wanting to learn more and uh, just challenge myself. Did you go through uh, on-the-job training or did you go and, and do like a formal education in cooking? Um, no, actually. I, I spent most of my career just learning on the job. Had the fortunate pleasure of working for some very, very competent um, chefs and, and very creative and understanding people that not only taught me a lot about food, but really taught me a lot about food education, food awareness, um, food morals, really food ethics. Tell me more about that, food morals, the ethics of food. Another reason, as I said, that I really enjoy um, being a cook and teaching other people and even just talking to clients and guests that come into the restaurant is is just food ethics and food awareness. Mentioning, you know, going back to what you mentioned earlier about the small town in the U.S. that didn't have a grocery store. I mean, as I said, that's common. But what else has come in common, too, is, is, is this education and people realizing that food, you know, food is such a huge, huge, important part of our life, our culture. We need it to survive. But not only that, it brings people together, you know, as, as terrible as cheesy as it may sound to that hearth that brings everyone together around the dinner table and that sense of family. We've lost that, I think, um, especially when it comes to our ingredients. You know, a lot of people don't support local farmers. They buy, you know, prepackaged, pre-cut proteins that are raised on terrible, terrible farms. And Everyone can watch a movie uh, like Food Incorporated and say that's disgusting and still go out and make really bad choices at the grocery store um, by buying that, you know, apple from New Zealand when you could buy that apple from next door. Hmm. Do you feel somewhat responsible for spreading this gospel to the world? I, I feel 100% responsible. And I, I feel that as cook, a chef, as anyone that's in control of selling a food product to the populace, it's you are responsible, you're morally responsible to either just provide proper nutritional information or to use and source local ingredients when you can. Where do you feel like cooking is taking you in your future? What are your ambitions within your career? You've talked about sort of your ethics and your desire to spread these ethics and how much you love being a chef. Is there anything else that you really want to get out of your cooking career? Uh, I I think I'm really getting a a lot of what I'm getting right now. I mean, um, I've cooked for prime ministers, premiers. I've cooked for some homeless people. Uh, (laughs) That that was, was a great time. I did a soup kitchen. I would, I guess, like to see myself one day in my own uh, little restaurant, uh, spreading my own philosophy of food and food ethics. But if that day comes, it comes. If it doesn't, I'll, I'll always be cooking somewhere, I'm sure. 
you just reminded me when you said that you cooked for premieres. It was, oh, it was this premiere. Christy, is that who you're talking about? Christy Clark is the premiere of British Columbia. It's premiere. Whoa. Premiere. Did I say that right? Yeah. A premiere is the uh, opening of a movie. Christy, is that who you're talking about? I actually, I, I gave, um, I'm going to say it anyway. I gave Christy my sausage. <laughs> I gave Premier Christy Clark my sausage, uh, which she loved. No, we we did some we did some beautiful, nice little venison smokies for them. Um, all everything made 100% from scratch. Beautiful BC fallow venison, a little bit of pork fat cut in there. Um, homemade sausage, natural casing, homemade uh, little poppy seed sourdough bun, and you know just some nice little relishes and things. Everything everything homemade. But yeah, we just did a little lunch for her, and she enjoyed it. She laughed. She thought it was a kick. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, giving. <laughs> Giving someone of her stature, uh, uh, you know, junk food, basically. Basically hot dogs. Basically hot dogs, yeah. I mean, they... Better hot dogs. No, not basically. They were hot dogs, yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess I am known for my junk food approach. I mean, it's, it's, it's healthy junk food. It's all made from scratch with no sort of filler and preservative and yucky stuff. That seems like a pretty admirable approach to try and undermine people's love of junk food by secretly slipping them healthy food instead. You've you've actually just discovered my secret. <laughs> I didn't even have to tell you. I, I was hoping you'd come to it on your own. But yeah, you you said it perfectly because I find that if anything, the kind of food that I do, I think is it's very approachable. It's very it's very comfortable. So yeah, sneaking in, you know, a really healthy lunch under the guise of a, a BC venison burger. Hey, why not? You know, hmm. I mean, that's genius. And it seems like you're doing a very good job of it. I mean, mothers have been trying this <laughs> for fucking decades. But I mean, as my own mother learned, you can't always just serve your kids lentils and call them French fries. No, no, you can't. But once again, that's I think that goes into a little bit of my style, though. I'm kind of playful, a little tongue in cheek sometimes, maybe. Liam does appreciate the lighthearted nature of the kitchen. And it sounds like he and his coworkers do have a lot of fun. Another reason I love working in the kitchen is the camaraderie. You develop relationships with people that you would never think possible. Some of the things I've discussed with, with some of the cooks in the kitchen would bring disgust to many <laughs> patrons, I'm sure. I can remember one particular occasion. I was working with a great friend of mine, Eugene Archambault, who's a very talented chef. He's at Brownstones in Kamloops right now. But uh, he was actually um, slicing up some baguette one day and uh, bragging about his beautiful new handmade knife. Beautiful knife. Fast, sleek, sharp. But frankly, Eugene was just getting on my nerves with this whole, my knife is better than your knife. Lo and behold, karma strikes and it strikes fast. I turn my back for two minutes. I turn around to see Eugene holding his left thumb. Well, half of his left thumb. Squirting blood. And, and it was funny because I've never actually seen blood squirt up vertically in the air before. Like like inches high. So I thought it was only on television, but it, it really was. And, and I proceeded to laugh at Eugene. Uh, as he looked at me with blood splurting with this worried, pale, wide-eyed look. Uh, and I laughed at him for about, uh, honest to God, about a minute and a half. Um, to, to the point where there's actually blood pooling on the floor. So I, I eventually, of course, rushed over to him and wrapped his hand up and took the top of his thumb, which was actually still on the blade of his knife. 
uh, still sitting there like like a like a Quentin Tarantino movie or something, and proceeded to try and MacGyver the thumb back together. It didn't work. He, he just mushed it back on the tip. Yeah, but but he did he did end up having to go to the hospital. But um, but you know that that was one good time. <laughs> You meet so many idiots in the kitchen. There's so many stories like that. It's just, <laughs> and then all the other stories are just really bad. Like they're just keep keep that off the podcast. Keep that keep that off the podcast. Keep yeah. it clean. But cooking isn't all fun. Liam's had to make a lot of sacrifices to get where he is now. He expects a great deal from his coworkers and also from himself. Honestly, the biggest the biggest challenge of my career, I think, has been myself. I tend to be fairly demanding of myself, tend to try and set certain levels for myself and and uh, can uh, can be hard on myself when I don't attain them. But that tends to translate to others as well. So working with certain people, um, uh, definitely I would say I have a bit of a thick skin. I, I need to work with people that have a thick skin as well because – I think in this industry, it's it's just something that's that's a part of it. It's it's quick, it's fast, it's sometimes um, to the point, and uh, not a lot of room for maybe kindness. It, it's a hard working atmosphere, and I think a lot of people go into the business thinking that it'll be easy or that it will be um, a quick way to make a buck. And for some aspects of the industry, it is. It, that's something you can do. But for something like what I do, and I think for something that a lot of the other chefs in the Okanagan do, we expect a certain level and a certain caliber from cooks. In addition, despite being the head chef at a successful restaurant, Liam's job is hardly an assured thing. I do spend a large portion of uh, of the year uh, uh, basically unemployed uh, from the kitchen. You, you you have a lot of younger people coming up and and getting into the culinary industry, but we've we've had in the past um, several students that really don't take their work home with them. We have. Two, two great students that had come out a few years ago, but literally you'd almost need a snow shovel to get the pizza boxes out of your way as you went into their apartment because nothing, nothing was made from scratch at home. It was KD and pizza boxes. And, and I think that's important for a lot of people to realize too, is that a lot of cooks, you know, you go into a restaurant, you sit down and have this beautiful four or five course meal that's wonderfully prepared. And it's, it's two, three hundred dollars for dinner by the end of the night. And that cook that's just prepared all that food for you is going to go home and eat his 49 cent KD because he can't afford anything else. And that's it really, you know? So I, I think that's definitely um, something that you got to bring the young cooks along about too, is that it's, that's how far gone our approach to food has gone uh, is that even our cooks don't eat properly anymore. You know, people <laughs> feed us every day don't eat properly anymore. So, you know, don't complain about that hundred dollar dinner because <laughs> at least it's not Katie. That's quite sad. It, it is very sad. And I, I, the same thing in my young career, I, I would eat soda crackers for dinner a lot of the time because <laughs> I was just so broke. When you are spending a large part of the year unemployed, laid off, how do you rationalize still being a chef? How do you, how do you tell yourself that it's important enough to be pursuing this career that you're willing to suffer, that you're willing to go without a paycheck for a month or two months? I, I really don't have to justify it, honestly, because I, I think I've made a decision, right? I, I've made a personal decision to cook in an area that um, doesn't have the ability to support me year-round. That being said, it, it does support me in the summer season, and I have access to the most amazing 
beautiful produce, uh, fruits and vegetables, uh, berries that you could possibly imagine. I mean, the Okanagan just is, it's beautiful. The, the, the product alone is, is worth me staying. And, and it's a choice I make. I could, you know, move to Vancouver and, and work in a restaurant there and uh, live in the city and live that lifestyle and work year round. But, um, I, I choose not to. And while he's unemployed, Liam cooks. He just keeps cooking. Keeps learning. Really try and utilize that time to teach myself. Last year, it was a lot about baking. This season is definitely geared to more uh, charcuterie. I'm making my own sausages. I'm doing my uh, own venison prosciuttos. Just learning has always been a big part of my life, not only in the kitchen, but I've, I've always loved to learn how things work and why things work. And just as I think, uh, you know, an artist that may not have a showroom at the time would continue to produce over a season just because that's what you do. I mean, I was, I was very fortunate to, to realize that food was a big part of my life and a big passion of mine at a pretty young age. So even, you know, if the off chance I was a lawyer, I would probably still come home and cook dinner every night. Liam McNulty is the head chef for the patio restaurant at Inkmeep Cellars Winery in Asoyuz, B.C. Recipes of his have appeared in magazines such as Savor and Wine Trails and also in the recently published The Butcher, The Baker, The Wine and Cheesemaker, an Okanagan cookbook by Jennifer Schell. But to really appreciate his craftsmanship, you need to visit Inkmeep Cellars during the summer. Take a little vacation, stay for a few days, and go to the patio restaurant and try some of this local flavor that Liam's so proud of. Moss, if you don't put some real music back on, I'm going to boycott both but, the show and you. But but that was my true romance tribute song. I have no idea what that is. I don't care. Are you trying to be romantic? No, it's a movie. Okay. Okay. Christian Slater. Any, anyway, real music for Colton's interview. Oh, uh, grumble, grumble, grumble. Next up, I talked with my cousin, Colton, because this is the second episode of our podcast, and our talent pool just ain't that deep yet. Hey, Colton's not bad. No, no, you're, you're right. Colton's actually a really talented chef, and most importantly, he loves cooking. He's been officially charged with cooking every single holiday dinner for our family, and he doesn't seem to mind. He makes a mean loaf of bread. He does, and he makes caramel sauce for kicks, and then he just tries to sell it to his own workplace. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we give you... Colton View. I'm 18 years old. I'm currently going to school for culinary arts at Okanagan College in Kelowna. I'm working right now at Earl's. Um, yeah. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for, uh, for coming down. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, why do you think that I have you on this, on this podcast? Um, well, you also have an actual, like, Red Seal chef already, so... I guess you get the other perspective, the person who's already doing it and the person who's going into it. I couldn't have said it better myself. Oh, go me. Colton, tell us a little bit about the program that you're in. Uh, the program I'm in is a year-long program. It covers really, it's kind of more of a general education of everything. There's nothing too specific in it. There's a section on bakery. There's a cold kitchen, which is your charcuterie, your butchery. Charcuterie? Is that is that what it's called? Chef McNulty kept on talking about cold meats and 
Shakulerie? I thought it was charcuterie. It could be. Um, my instructor for Cold Kitchen, where we do that, is German, and he has a very thick German accent. I see. So you're kind of making everything up. Sort of, yeah, I guess. Eh? And so why did you get into this program? It's uh, it's through the high school, isn't it? Yeah, I'm doing it through the high school, wherein they pay the tuition, and um, yeah... I mean, I don't really know where else to go with that. So, Colton, why did you why did you sacrifice a semester of your final year in high school to go and do chef training instead? Because um, I was planning on doing that anyways, and by doing it through the school, I'm able to save money and time, I suppose. You said that you would have pursued this anyways. You've you've had ambitions of going into cooking for uh, for a while, or? Um, yes, I have actually. I think. A couple years after I first started working, getting a lot more hours, I was working in a kitchen. Met a lot of great people there, you know. I guess ambition soared from there. I want to know more about you wanting to be a chef. What other life ambitions have you had? What other careers have you considered? Um, My brother being a welder, my dad being a iron worker. Um, The trades, of course, are kind of tempting. You make really good money doing them, and yeah, already having family in it makes it really easy to get a job as well just having those connections hmm that's good that makes this sound like sort of a billy elliott kind of story you know like no i don't <laughs> no no you don't that's no. okay you're 18 that's fine i'm 18 i do not know I, i'm sorry do you do you see yourself as kind of pursuing a trade in your own way do you consider cooking to be a sort of craftsmanship or do you see it as something more artistic i see it more as craft Really. Um, actually, I guess it also depends very largely on where and how it's being done. When it's more like private, intimate at home, it's much more of an art. When you're doing it as a business, doing it to make money, it's more of a craft. So uh, so tell me a bit about the first jobs that you did in kitchens. Did you start as a dishwasher or, or what? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everyone's been a dishwasher. <laughs> Everyone's always been a dishwasher or a server. There's no way around that. I skipped it. You skipped it? You told me that you used to work in... Um, uh, on Quadra Island at the Harry Bay Inn. Yep. And I was just I was just a prep cook. I just started as a prep cook. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I dodged dishwasher. I dodged server. Well done, sir. Although I did have to be a harbor master before that, so that was actually kind of my introduction. Right. The harbor master. That's... It was Quadra Island. There was a weird progression. But yeah, so you were a dishwasher. How long were you a dishwasher for? The first summer I worked... And then when I came back in summer again, um, there was under new management, the restaurant, and they had a very different progression system, wherein instead of being promoted based on time, it was based more on merit. Mm. I was a dishwasher for, I think it was like four days. And then I was being trained to cook online. And yeah, from there, it's kind of snowballed. Very nice. Now, when you say online, you mean like on a cooking, not on not on the internet. No. Okay. Um. Yeah. Online. It doesn't. I'm not talking on the internet. The line is where all the cooking is done, where you'll find the ovens and the stoves. Right. So so if you're if you're a cook on the line, that means you're producing the hot meals. Yes. So what other what other positions are there? Sorry, but do you want like the uh like the hierarchy of a kitchen? Oh yeah, please. <laughs> that sounds good. Actually, this would be a good question for uh Chef McNutley, what a classic kitchen brigade is. I think that'd be He okay. You Did know what? He... Did he talk to you about that? He kept on talking about brigades. Yeah. And I thought this was some kind of military slang that he kept throwing out. He kept on saying, oh, you're leading the brigade, you're doing this and that. And I thought I thought he was just being like a, a crusty old man <laughs> with, like, war flashbacks. He's, like, 30, by the way. 
Kozo, okay, can you can you fill me in? What's what's a brigade? Um, well, a kitchen brigade, the classic kitchen brigade, is built out of the different stations. I can't off the top of my head name them all. But there's a bunch, I'm there's, sure. Sorry, there's I think there's uh, ten to twelve, and all of them are in French, of course. Right, of course. So, <laughs> so if you have less than ten or twelve people working in your kitchen, do you have certain people doubling up multiple stations? Well, the thing about that is though, that was the classic kitchen brigade. Right. So, so you might be working with a modern kitchen brigade, which is fewer yeah. stations. Absolutely, it's much more concise, much more uh, efficient, really. With the new technology, the new progressions we've made in cooking itself, how we do things. You don't you don't need a man in the back stoking the fire 24/7. Exactly, yeah. So Colton, this is a question that I asked Chef McNulty. Oh, I thought it was McNulty. Well, that's awkward. Uh, I asked him what he likes to be called. What would you consider yourself to be called? If you get called a cook, is that is that gravely offensive? No. <laughs> I mean, right now the program taking at school, at the end of it, I'll have two certificates. Mm-hmm. One of them being my professional cook level one, and then my professional cook level two. So you, so you actually are a cook. That is, that is what you are. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. And so, do you need to work harder and and get further to be called a chef? A chef is kind of an abused term, really. Oh. <laughs> but this is this is good. This is heavy. Let's get into this. I don't want to sound elitist, but like in the sense that uh, <laughs> there's only ever one chef in any kitchen Mm. the chef is the leader the chef is the chef the ceo of the kitchen itself so even if you colton received a certain amount of training you wouldn't necessarily be a chef until you were given an appointment to control a kitchen is it kind of like being a captain like you can get to the rank where you can theoretically be a captain but you're not a captain unless you have a ship yeah i suppose so fascinating I like how that kind of plays into the brigade again. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a really militant structure. I'm, I'm definitely getting it. Yeah. What are your personal ambitions out of this? Do you want to be a chef someday? Are you aspiring to kind of hit the high ranks of this? Um, of course. I don't want to be a, a cook for all my life. I love to cook. I love being a cook, but it's not exactly a career in and of itself. You have to make that next step to become something more, even if it's a sous chef, but yeah, eventually to become, I guess, a head chef of a restaurant is the ultimate goal. There's always two real kinds of restaurants. Mm-hmm. There's the chains and the independently owned ones. The chains being Milestones, Earl's, Cactus Club, and then your independently owned ones. The little greasy spoon on the corner sort of thing. <laughs> Any day of the week, I'd way rather own a little greasy spoon where I could do what I want than be under the oppression of the tyrannical oversight. Oh, wow. That is chain restaurants. That, that's that's some pretty heavy terminology. <laughs> that was kind of harsh. Considering you work at an Earl's right now, what yeah, do they think? Yeah, I do work in a chain restaurant, yeah. So clearly, an essence of freedom and uh, and creative liberty is something that's important to you in cooking. Is that true? Absolutely. You mentioned that cooking in a more comfortable context for your family at home, you get to be more artistic. Do you think that that's something that you would get to express more in an independently owned restaurant? Absolutely. Because in chain restaurants, you don't make a menu. You're handed a menu and you're saying, this is what you're making. Colton, it sounds to me like cooking for you is something that you're, you're in. 
how much is that a part of kind of who you are? Is it something that just comes out when you're at school and at work? I would say there's most definitely a separate me for when I'm at school as to when I'm at work as to when I'm anywhere else. I carry myself very differently. I find I'm always, for the most part, the happiest at work, though. Well, not the happiest, but it's satisfying. That's wonderful. That's exactly how somebody should feel about their work. So, Colton, I just want to actually go back to when you mentioned that any day of the week you would you would take a greasy spoon diner over a chain restaurant. Mm-hmm. If you were forced to choose between uh, a fairly lucrative position, you know, like, let's say, head chef of a Moxie's, or if you could go into business for yourself as an entrepreneur and be running a small little business and maybe you wouldn't be getting the customers as much and maybe the whole thing would go under in six months and you would lose a lot of money on it. Would you go for the for the small independently owned um, little diner? I definitely think I would, yeah. Hmm. Actually, no. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Hear me out, though. Okay, yep. Okay, so... I wouldn't at first. I'd take the lucrative position for, let's say, even up to 10 years. Yeah, doing it that way. That's very that's very smart of you. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of horror stories out there of uh, chefs trying to like trying to start their own business, and then it fails horribly, and then they're 300 grand in debt. Mm. And yet, despite all of that, and despite the fact that you said you came from a family where your father, your brother, they do trades, inevitably, they're probably going to be making more money than you, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And yet, this is still the uh, craft that you chose. Uh, yeah. Colton really is passionate about food. He's committed himself to cooking as much as you could expect an 18-year-old to commit themselves to anything. He has a favorite knife. It's a nine-inch Wistoff French knife, or a chef's knife, depending on who you ask. I'm going to call it a French knife because it sounds fancy. He has a favorite dish. I love properly prepared seafood or fish. That's really one of the things, though, that you'll see most often done poorly, I think. Even uh, at Earl's. <gasps> we. Oh, yeah, I'm about to bat talk <laughs> Trash talk where I work. And he's received some very impressive praise from his instructors. I just made a grilled tenderloin, but the way I seasoned it, the chef said that it was the best thing that he's eaten uh, since he started teaching. And then he signed me up for a Skills Canada cooking competition without telling me until the day before. What? Yeah, it was was good. And at the bottom of it all, he has a real belief in the power of an effective, creative meal. Cooking, I find, when done not from a business standpoint, just, say, you and friends, is more about creating an experience for everyone there. Good food can create a great experience, and lousy food can quite often ruin it. Goodbye. That never got sad. You said the interviews all had a sad part. Well, he's 18. What's he got to be sad about? The big complication of his life is that he's not old enough to legally drink yet. 
And that, my dear, just doesn't carry the same emotional burden as a lone man who's trying to stave off the ravages of the corporate food industry while contending with unemployment, low wages, and a bunch of co-workers who sound like they're on the daily precipice of getting themselves killed. Mm. Colton can't vote yet, either. Yeah. 3-2-1 contest time? 3-2-1 contest time! screwed you are going down and then i'm gonna rub your face in the carpet and then i'm gonna bang no. on your teeth and then no, you're gonna no. have a headache oh my god what? Cry what's going on i'm gonna win why because i'm gonna win god this is so heated this is very heated today as befits our theme we will be partaking in a cooking contest we are going to duke it out in the kitchen for the benefit of all to see and with our two professional guests judging our performance. So for our contest, we have put together a random list of both food categories and food ingredients. The categories include such things as pizza, soup, pasta or noodle dish, salad. Ew. <laughs> I'm really hoping that we get salad, no. because salad is the bane of Taylor's culinary creative existence. That's my joke. I just said that to you. <laughs> well, you didn't say it while we were recording, so bully for you. We also have sandwich and or wrap. Probably not and. You're probably going to make <laughs> either a sandwich or a wrap. Finally, a casserole or pie. So we are going to roll uh, a die, and we are going to get one result that both Taylor and I are going to compete in. Well, who gets to roll? Well, I do, because because I'm holding the die. But I'm holding one, too. Where did you get that? I found it. All right, I guess, I guess you could roll. Are you ready? I'm ready. Roll. I rolled a four. So that is... I think that rolls out salad. Nope, nope, because a four is a salad. Oh, no. <laughs> I really wanted pasta. Salad. Salad. It's All right. Salad. Salad I it is. I hated it from the start, and now I'm gonna. I'm just gonna do it. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm gonna win it, and it's gonna be that much sweeter because salad. Salad. It is. We will salad. be eating a salad. Okay. So now salad. I need. I'm almost. I'm almost done this list. Uh, I just need. I need one more thing. Um, Why don't you just go with what you have? Well, I need twenty things so that we can roll a twenty-sided die. <laughs> don't laugh at me. Um. Why is it hard to think of a, of a food? Tofu. I'm putting down tofu. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Let me get my... Here is my dice bag. Choose a 20-sided die. You can have the white one, or you can have the black one. Mm, I think I want the gold one. No, no, that's mine. I'm rolling that. But... What we are going to do now for the ingredients is we are each going to roll for two ingredients. Now, these are going to be particular to ourselves. We're not going to be sharing ingredients. However, we're going to roll for two ingredients each, and we're going to choose one ingredient to keep and one ingredient to force on our opponent. So we are each going to have two ingredients at the end, one self-chosen, one given to us by the other. Excellent. Roll number one. What I did rolled... you get? What did you get? I rolled chickpeas. Oh, intriguing. What did you roll? Oh, I didn't roll yet. Well, you got to roll. I was listening to your roll. I thought you were going to do both. No, I'm not going to do both. I rolled an 18. That is nuts. Taylor has <laughs> nuts. This is wacky. <laughs> that is any nut that you want. <laughs> okay. You want to do bull testicles? Sure, you can make a case for that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I like I liked listening to you get that joke. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> My okay. second roll is for bacon. 
Ooh, I rolled a one. That's zucchini, Taylor. Oh, man. So what do I... Okay, so now we have to choose which one we're keeping, huh? Yeah, we've got to choose. I've got chickpeas and bacon. i got to keep one and give you one. We now, rolled this... really good stuff. Hmm. I'm going to keep my nuts. a girl. Get your own nuts. You can have bacon. I don't, I don't want bacon. Bacon nut salad. You are going to make a bacon nut salad, and I'm going to make a chickpea zucchini salad. These sound, kind of sound good. They sounded really boring. Uh, I know. That's probably why I like them. <laughs> now, just to make things more interesting, both Moss and I will have one of our guests as our personal coach. The coach will help us brainstorm and will take us grocery shopping for the best ingredients, but then they have to back off and let us do the actual cooking ourselves before they come back in to taste our meals and judge our performance. So who gets... Oh, I get Colton. Really? You don't you don't want the professional chef. Is it Liam's hair? His weird, slick Don Draper hairdo? No comment. All right, you take Colton, brainstorm with him, and then get your ingredients. Cue the brainstorming sequence. Do, 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 do. Coach Colton, how's it going? Uh, very well. How are you? I'm doing well, but I need your help. Mm-hmm. The brainstorming went on and on, long into the night. Do you have any ideas for what you want to make for your salad? I, I kind of want it to have pasta in it, because I like pasta. I like warm things. I don't like cold things. And Taylor had a great many questions and suggestions. What kind of dressing do you think this should have? What about, like, pears or something? Or do we want to be, like, different and be, like, no vegetables? Like, this is a salad without veggies. Colton, for his part, was very polite to her inquiries. Well, if you melt brie and put it onto a cold salad, it's going to immediately, like, solidify again. So we just have, like, a salad brick? Yes. Is that a good route to go? Gonna probably have to go with no. And in the end, they came up with some pretty valid ideas. Should it have something to sweeten it, like a honey or or like maple syrup or something like that? I think maple syrup, because if you're candying it, you're going to need syrup. I've never thought to use maple syrup in dressing before. I think just talking to you is making me creative. With the brainstorming done, it was time for them to hit the grocery store and get ingredients for the meal. So, this is lettuce? It is. Well done. This is clearly lettuce. I don't know what that is. Expensive lettuce, pretty much. I think we should go with Granny Smith apples because they're more sour. Okay. The, we already have sweet, so. I want this one. Probably weighs like three pounds. The size of my head. You want a smaller apple. I, yeah. I defer to you. Make like a walnut breading and then use that on the chicken, bread it, bake it, and then on top. Maybe? Maybe. Sure. I'm not a big fan of chicken. <laughs> like chicken? Oh, God. What about go. making a, a bacon sculpture to sit on a top? A bacon sculpture? Like if you that. can pull off a bacon sculpture... How do you choose bacon? I choose the cheapest bacon, I'm not going to lie. I'm a student. Hmm, Bree. That one says happy holiday season. That sounds old. But it's on sale. It is on sale. Is it expired? It's not quite expired. Not quite. Back at the kitchen, I isolated Colton from Taylor's so that she could work on her meal without any further help or guidance. Colton had taught her everything he could in the time given, and now it was up to Taylor to impress the judges. Well, it's happened. I'm all alone. A little bit worried. So this is the sound of me pouring myself a glass of wine, because I figure that'll help. Okay, so I think I'm going to... Ooh, okay, pasta. I should put pasta on first? Probably. So Colton told me I need to julienne the apple and carrots. And I said yes, and I didn't actually tell him that I have never done that before. Ding dong, 
suddenly worried this isn't working, so I'm actually going to test one of these. So I don't know how long it takes for nuts to caramelize. Uh, they are sticking to everything at this point. Somehow even the floor has gotten very sticky. I'm not really sure what's going on. So I think they might be almost done. Um, I might just leave them in a little longer and just see what happens. I think I burned them. Those are some dark nuts. Okay, so I'm making the dressing. Colton taught me this trick for adding the oil so that it doesn't just separate. You have to stir it really fast while you pour it, but the bowl will slide around. So you put it on a really wet towel, and that stops it from moving. Okay, so here goes. Here goes stirring while pouring. It's, um, I have no idea if it's working. I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, Doing something. That's a good thing, I guess. Colton just snuck down to give me a ruling on my walnuts, but then Moss walked in, so he wasn't able to tell me if I should use them or redo them. But he did give me a little tip on my breading. But shh, we don't need to tell the other team that until after we win. Actually, we don't have to tell them after we win. Let's just not tell them. Shh. You know I edit this, right? Okay, it was a very big glass of wine. Chef Liam has arrived, and I'm definitely starting to feel the pressure. I'm also starting to feel the wine, which may not have been the best plan. The bacon is in the oven, which is weird, but that's what Colton told me to do. And I think it's time to work on the chicken, because we're running out of time. Okay, good, good talk. Okay. I'm almost done. I'm just waiting for the chicken to cook because our oven sucks. It's not cooked yet, uh, and the bacon's still in there. I don't know what to do with the bacon. Should I sprinkle it in, or should I drape it on top? Unknown. Everything else is ready. I hope it works. Fingers crossed. Next time you hear from me, we'll know one way or another how this ended. I hope I'm here to tell you uh, how it went. You're not dying. God, you get really dramatic when you cook. It was the little personal voice recorder. It made me feel like I was on some kind of, like, Blair Witch or, like, Lost Island-type scenario and someone was going to find this long after I was gone. Something terrible was going to happen. I don't know. It just happened. (laughs) That would explain why I found you crouched underneath the table when I came down to eat. (laughs) So, with both coaches and myself seated around the table, Taylor brought out her meal. For this contest, I have prepared a spinach and pea shoot salad with fine julienned apple and carrot strips. The greenery is sprinkled with candied walnuts, dried cranberries, pieces of brie, and of course, crispy bacon chunks. To complete the salad, it is topped with walnut-crusted chicken breast and dressed in a maple syrup vinaigrette. We'll find out what the judges thought of Taylor's meal in just a minute. After we check out whatever Moss puts together. Are you prepared to represent yourself without the fortifying power of bacon? Any day, baby. Cue the brainstorming sequence. Liam. Yep. Thanks for coming back. Hey, no problem. When I hear chickpeas, I think either like a Greek style with uh, with like vinegar and olive oil and feta. Or yeah, I think beans. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what I think. I love that. I used to do a really nice salad, which you'd actually fry the chickpeas. You'd kind of deep fry them in a little mix of chana flour, uh, oh. which is which is just obviously ground uh, ground chickpeas. 
and, and a little bit of water. You and say then, obviously, but I had no idea what that was. <laughs> so I need a millstone. Plus, we've also got that beautiful zucchini. We could go in a little bit different direction, make some little fritters. Uh, would be really nice. I so love can... zucchini fritters. Love zucchini fritters, right? Yes. Are, are we making like a fried zucchini disc with the uh, with the chickpea <laughs> stuff heaped on top? You know, I think that's up to you, Moss. To be honest, I am liking the idea of a zucchini <laughs> disc as the plate. You've got a beautiful zucchini fritter disc with some lovely uh, frisé and rocket and and uh, maybe some even some radicchio. Got I, that. Don't, I don't know what these things are. <laughs> these are all tiny little greens. There, there you go. Doesn't look like a salad, but tastes like a salad. Well, does it even? Right? I think it does. I'm tasting it right now, Moss, and I, I'm going to taste like a salad. Tastes like a salad. Tastes like a hit. After their brains were stormed, they stormed the grocery store. Red pepper is nice and juicy. Now, I always try and go... Yeah, how do you choose for an elongated pepper? Yeah, you... It's tough, as you can see, because we're over Mexico. Yeah. So, they're not really ripened properly before they're picked. So, in lieu of a long pepper, I'd always want to go for a deep, deep red color. Okay. I would say that a pound of zucchini probably be more than enough for, for just making for us. Yeah. We're actually using a scale. I've never used a scale. You know what? I think I think it's important for people to use... like exactly one pound. Yeah. You know, I think it's important... People cooking sometimes, when you weigh something, it's more scientific, it's more mathematical, and you can't really go wrong. Now, do you know how to pick a good cucumber? Uh, I generally go not mushy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much that's that's, the trick. Yeah. You got it. That's how I... Don't hold it like that, though. I've only got one hand. <laughs> I know, but don't. Oh, now we're both holding it at the same time. <laughs> I like how you pulled your hand away as soon as I nope, put my hand nope, on the cucumber. Nope. Can't both be touching the cucumber at the same time. You know what? Go with that guy. Sure. Yeah. They don't seem to uh, carry chana flour, which is usually quite easy to find. Huh. But I have some at work, so I'll go get some. All right. Deal. Hey, that's totally illegal. No, no, no. Don't worry. The kitchen uh, wasn't as well stocked as he anticipated. Okay, well, if you don't have chana flour, what can we use? What's the stuff? You can use regular flour and just do, like, a batter. I forgot to buy flour. Fuck me. <laughs> Suckers. Let's just get to the cooking. I did find some flour at home. So then Moss started his cooking, and Liam just kind of hung out in the kitchen with him, which probably was against the rules, but I was watching girly TV shows and didn't want to entertain Liam, so I said it was okay. I'm pretty sure he didn't actually help him. I think he might have actually stressed him out a little bit, so it worked out for the best. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take these green onions that I'm going to put into my dressing, and I'm going to put them into cold water for like 10 minutes, because apparently that's going to cool down the flavor a little bit and make it a little bit less strong. I've also preheated the oven to like 500. You know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to go 550. I'm just going to say 550. Frickin' blast the thing, and I'm going to throw some peppers in there. I've got a nice yellow pepper. I've got a nice red pepper, and we are going to roast those up. I'm about to put the peppers in the oven. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna drizzle some olive oil over top of them, and I'm gonna season them with some salt and pepper. Because apparently, you just season everything. This is what Liam said. Just season everything, always. Just season it. In fact, I'm just gonna freaking throw some salt on the zucchini before I wring it out. Just, yeah, just, just get it. All right, there's smoke coming out of the oven already. Uh, this is probably just because it's on 550. Try making the dressing now. So I've got a bunch of og- yogurt, a bunch of ogurt, and I'm going to put a little bit of oil and some lemon juice and some of those green onions that I've soaked and some dill. So I was having a bit of a hard time getting the Ziploc bag full of dill open. In fact, I had a really hard time, so I just cut it open with scissors. And now that I'm actually in it, 
On closer inspection, this is fennel. No, it's dill. Having a really hard time telling. You know what? I'm going to call this dill, and I'm going to put it in. It's going in. I just put some brine from my pickled beans into the salad dressing, and it fucking tastes fantastic. This is, this is good. I'm really happy with this dressing. Now, I don't really know how to deal with pea shoots. They're very long, and all the, the green is at the top. So I've kind of, like, ripped them up, and I think that's good. And then I just kind of threw the bottoms in, too, which don't really have a lot of green. Ah, whatever. I'm moving on to hot at this point. I have a pretty unpleasant amount of canola oil sitting in one of my pans. I have my other pan heating up for the fritters. The peppers are also are also sizzling away nicely, and I'm going to have to deal with those pretty soon. I've taken the roasted red peppers out of the oven. They look really good. I don't know really what to do with them at this point. I know I'm supposed to skin them. They're pretty hot, so I don't think I'm going to try that right now. My oil for deep frying is is crackling and popping, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get those chickpeas in there. The chickpeas are all sort of clumping together. Uh, I'm I'm trying to break them up. Oh, hey, that's pretty hot. Also, my first zucchini fritter is pretty much uh, a shit pile, but uh, but that's okay because the first one was a demo and it was for me. So I just pulled the, uh, the chickpeas out. They look really crispy, they're really nice. Now I may have made a mistake because I took the entire bowl full of batter and chickpeas and I dumped the whole bowl right in. There's a lot of just batter flakes. I'm gonna see if I can just break some of the batter off because that's not totally appealing. Um, it's not a fish and chips joint, so, so I'm gonna try and see if I can clean that up a bit. I'm frying up the last fritter, and this one frickin' aced it. The second fritter was good, good consistently. Did break in half, so I'm just gonna arrange it on the plate so that you can't tell. No one's gonna know. We are basically ready to eat. I am gonna be plating this thing in a minute. It was now time for Moss to present his meal to the judges. My final product is a salad of crisp lettuce and pea sprouts served atop of a fried feta cheese zucchini fritter. The salad is complemented by roasted red and yellow peppers, skinned and seeded and cut into strips, and is sprinkled with deep-fried battered chickpeas. This is topped with a dill yogurt dressing. So Moss served us his meal, and the judges retired to discuss and to make a decision, and now we're going to find out what they thought. Oh my god. I am so tense right now. Are you really tense right now? I'm surprisingly nervous. I don't know why this matters so much. This is huge. I really want to win. I feel like a lot is riding on this. I know. Now, we haven't listened to the judges' decisions yet, so we are going to be listening to it for the first time right now. We're going to start with Chef Liam. So the verdict is in uh, with the cooking competition between uh, Mr. Moss and Miss Taylor. I, I must say I took a few days to deliberate because the, the quality of both dishes was so high, starting with Moss's dish. Some of the points I liked about the dish were the, uh, the presentation was very nice. Um, the creativity in the dish was definitely one of the factors that kind of elevated, I thought, the dish. It, it wasn't necessarily a normal play on a salad, which was kind of nice. The chickpeas were nice and crispy. They were seasoned nicely. The peppers were roasted to perfection, I must say. And the yogurt and dill dressing was very well balanced. It was creamy. It really added and complemented the uh, fritter and the chickpeas. One of the main issues I had was the zucchini uh, latte itself. It, it was very nice uh, around the outside. 
However, as I got in toward the center of the latke, could taste a little bit of raw flour. Other than that, very tasty dish, very creative, and I would love to eat again. Next, on to Taylor's dish. Once again, with that salad, very crisp, very nice. Uh, also worked well with the wine pairing. I, I should mention Moss's did not work with the wine pairing at all. However, that was kind of just a throw-in at the end. It was uh, very crisp, very refreshing. Would have loved to have that salad on sort of a, a hot summer day on a patio. The apples were, were nice and crisp. The dressing was superbly balanced. Cheese was nice and creamy, contrasted the candied nuts. Taylor candied the nuts herself and slightly burnt the caramel a bit, which I actually prefer. Bacon was nice and salty, uh, went well with the sweeter dressing. The issue I will take with Taylor's salad was the the actual chicken breast itself. It was a little rubbery. She had tried to do a nice crust on it uh, with some of the nuts as well, which, which didn't really work out, ended up being quite mushy and not very good at all. So that being said, two wonderful dishes, very tasty, very similar in quality. However... Drum roll, I, I have to give uh, give the competition to Moss on a slight, slight lead, just with the sort of creativity on his dish and the, the different take on a salad. So thank you very much for including me in this competition. You are both wonderful, wonderful cooks, far above average, I think, in the average home cook. And I hope to work with both of you again someday soon. Thank you very much. Oh, God. Yes! Uh... Yes! Okay, wait, was, hey, hey, you didn't win yet. I was so worried about that, though. I did not expect Liam to give me any favoritism, because as you heard in the interview, he's most critical of himself, which means that this was the meal that he put effort into, and therefore it was the one that he was going to be the most harsh on. Yeah, yeah. Stop bragging. <laughs> I'm just, I just feel really good, that's all. Okay, that's fine. Let's move on. Okay, let's get to Colton. Let's hear what Colton said. So, starting with Taylor's salad... It went well, but the salad itself was a bit overcrowded. There was a, quite a bit of unnecessary crap in it when you get right down to it. It really didn't need the orzo. didn't really need the pea shoot. The chicken was unnecessary. I kind of fucked that one up. The dressing on it was good, though. It wasn't overpowering in any way. It wasn't too acidic, and it wasn't too sweet, which can really be a problem if you're using maple syrup. Now for the other salad. I like the idea of Moss's salad a lot. It's a lot more creative than the other one. The chickpeas, the, the deep fried chickpeas, unfortunately they, at least mine, did have a little bit of excess batter on them. They're, my fritter though, the fritter was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. It was a little bit um, soggy just because of everything sitting on top of it. But other than that, it was great. As for the dressing, Taylor was saying that she thought it was a little bit too tangy. Um, I disagree, personally. I thought it was, it went really well with the rest of the dish. I would say that the dressing could use a little bit more seasoning, though. So taking all of that into consideration, I guess it's time for the final verdict. And as much as it feels like a betrayal to say it, I have to go with Moss's salad. I just think it was more creative and overall a more interesting experience. There's nothing wrong with Taylor's salad. What it did, it did well, but I still have to, uh, still have to vote for Moss's. Okay, well, uh, that's my vote. Thanks for having me on the show. And, yeah... No! Yes! Yes! Oh, no! Yes! I am the winner! I, I won! To, I need to go sulk. I won something! Goodbye. I... I am the best cook. I... I did it. I would like to really thank Chef Liam. 
he gave a lot of wonderful inspiration. Wasn't it great working with these with these coaches, Taylor? So, like, five minutes ago, I would have said yes. I'm sorry, I'm cranky now. Um, okay, yes, the chefs were amazing. It was actually really fun working with them. Colton was really great. I actually found just working with Colton, working with a chef, made my cooking more creative. Like, the more we talked, I was coming up with ideas on my own that I never would have come up with without him, I think. It was kind of neat. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I really want to do another cooking episode now. Oh, I'm never cooking again. (laughs) Oh, maybe it can be me against the professionals this time, since I'm of a caliber that I could be competing against professional chefs, I believe. You could judge. Yeah, you want me to judge you? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you very much for tuning in to our second episode of We're Gonna Make It. Thank you very much. We've had a lot of fun making this show. Rest assured that this is growing into a pretty fantastic thing that we're very keen on continuing, so you will see many, many more episodes of this come out over the next year or more. I think we can pretty safely say that I'm going to win every contest from here on out, so you guys should definitely keep listening. She's got the heat now. Like a hot, like a hot oven? Like a, like a hot oven. So, of course, we want to thank Chef Liam McNulty, and we want to thank Colton View, and we also want to thank the musician Olav for providing us with Colton's theme song. That track was called After the Telling Bell. All other music was courtesy of myself and my keyboard piano. Thanks a lot, folks. Have a, Bye. Have a good... Have Night? A, have day? A good, have a good time. Weekend? Have a good time. Have a great time. We're gonna make it, make it, make it.